good singing this morning. You may be seated. Amen. That is a wonderful old hymn. I heard a long time ago, you can tell where you are in the country by how that chorus of that song is sung. How many in here are from north of the Ohio River? And if you are, raise your hand and say the word fire for me. Raise your hand and say fire. One, two, three, fire, right? Those that are south of the Ohio River, how do we say fire? Fire, that's right. That's a beauty of a church, isn't it? I love when I sing that song, you can see me smiling. Some of you watch me when, when I'm singing, you're like, what is he smiling at? And the answer is sometimes you never know what I'm smiling at. But on that one, you could know that I am smiling because I'm watching those of our northern friends and family in the church saying fire and those of our southern saying fire. It's great. It's sometimes it's just great to be in church together. The teenagers are like, he has lost his mind already in the new year. Proverbs chapter 3 is where we are. I am glad that Zach and Sarah are here. They came in, uh, they've been away on family vacation and time off. Came in, they're here today. And this afternoon, they are leaving to go be a ministry help. Uh, I love the fact that the two of them want to give back to the Lord's work. Not just here at Bluegrass, they do that quite well. But they'll be gone all week down to Southland Christian Camp in Louisiana to help with musical recordings and making some CDs there. I don't know how Madeline's holding up in it, but I'm glad they're here. I asked him, though, I said, you know, your anniversary's Tuesday. He said, yeah, we've decided we'll have our anniversary in February. So we'll have to celebrate their anniversary with them again uh, as well. I'm glad they're here this morning. Pray for them as they depart this afternoon to head down there for a week's-long ministry opportunity and helping there. I think they'll be back with us by the Sunday. So that's a lot of driving, a lot of traveling. I pray for God's protection and mercy upon them. Well, we set our theme for this year, and the theme for this Sunday is the only Sunday we'll be preaching on it and jumping right back into the walking series next Sunday. It's found here in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, in the very last statement of verse 6, where it says, He shall direct thy paths. Read verses 5 and 6 along in your head as I read them out loud here, and then we'll pray and jump into the preaching. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. And when all of that has happened, the Bible says, and he shall direct thy paths. Father, help us, I pray, as we come to the word of God this morning. Help us as we settle our hearts on the truth that we find in these wonderfully known verses. Help us as a church family and as individuals in this corporate body as we look into this new year and look forward to all the things that you will do, but also mindful of all the events and circumstances that may come to be. You are God there in those moments, just like you are God here this moment, this morning. Help us to understand the truth of these two verses. Help us to take the hope that is found in the last statement of verse 6. Bless, I pray in this hour and in this preaching, in Jesus' name, amen. In 2023, we set forward as our thought and our theme, He leadeth me. We looked at Psalm 23. I appreciate Zach reading from it for the opening of worship this morning because it does remind us of what we tried to look at last year in the fact that God is going to lead us in this life. And where He leads, we should follow. The psalmist wrote that, and we want to carry the thought this morning from the psalmist's words to his sons, Solomon's, here in his book of wisdom in Proverbs chapter 3. God leads us, but God also directs us to a life of joy, a life of satisfaction, a life of peace, and a life of contentment. Nearly every Christian that I know can quote Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It is a very known quotable, familiar, and encouraging passage of Scripture. In this passage of Scripture, there's guaranteed hope, there's great confidence, and there's genuine conviction that can be built into the life of those who know Christ as their Savior. It is a passage of great significance for our family. 
My mom's family, nearly every member of her family, has had either this verse quoted or preached as the sermon at their funerals. It is my mom's life passage. So as a son, I better have gotten what these two verses are telling me early in my life. And I think that I have, and I think it will set us in a good direction this year. So what does it mean then to commit to having God direct your path? Well, first, in our outlines, it means that we believe in the inherent truth. When we come to that last statement of, He shall direct thy paths, the phrase, He shall, has an emphatic sense to it. It is no different in its statement than when God says, I am. What Solomon in his wisdom says, God will do this for you. God is willing to do this for you. God will engage in your life. The inherent truth of all things is that God is the only reality. He is truth. He is what is real. Faith begins, my friend, with believing that God is the great cause of all things. He was before the beginning, and He was the cause of the beginning of creation. When the Bible begins, it says, in the beginning, God. He is and always will be, for He always has been. Thus, when Solomon says here, He shall direct thy paths, Solomon is meaning that God's power and God's providence is in control of everything in our lives. And you must believe that truth as absolute. This tells us then that there's nothing also of value outside of who God is. Again, understand what I'm saying here. There are valuable things to you, but there is nothing of intrinsic value outside of God himself. God is the end of all things, for he is the cause of all things. We erroneously believe that God is a part of our life. I cannot tell you how many times as a pastor I will meet people, even Bible-believing Christians, and they'll say, yeah, well, God plays a big role in my life. If He shall direct your paths is the guiding thought in your life, God is everything to you. Not just a part of you. He is everything to you. God is all of our life. Human life, the book of James tells us, is but a vapor. In the reality of God's existence, our souls, our spirits, even our new glorified bodies, those will live with him forever. But this life and what has happened in it will be just a fleeting memory. Over and again, when events happen in our family's life, I will go to my boys and I will say to them, if it's a tragic event or a triumph or, or there's somebody that's hurt them or there's something that they're down in the dumps about or there's something that they earnestly want, I have to have that, Dad. I will say to them, and I have to remind myself often of this truth, when I am 1,047,000,000 years old, what happened in this life is not going to matter that much. That is not to say there's not value for living for God in this life. But we often live this life as if we are everything and and he's just a little bit of it. If you get nothing else from the message this morning, understand that you are just a little bit of it and he is everything of it. When Solomon says that God shall direct your paths, you can be sure that God will. Because God can direct your path. This inherent truth, this core issue, this very basic knowledge is what we must have. This inherent truth of who God is, is letter A, based upon or on His Word. God is truth. Thus, every word that God speaks is also true. Paul said in Romans chapter 3 and verse 4, Let God be true and every man a liar. Do you believe that? Then you have to look at some of the views you have that run conflict in conflict to who God is, and you have to look in the mirror of the Word of God, and sometimes even the mirror hanging in your bathroom, and say, You, friend, are a liar. Let God be true... And all of our opinions, 
all of our assumptions, all of our estimations, and everything that we feel about God, if it's not in line with who God is, you too, and I as well, am a liar. God is always true. The question for even believers then this morning is, do we believe that God is absolute truth? Do you? He's absolutely right on everything. It has been the lie of the devil from the beginning that God cannot be trusted. Jesus says that the devil is a liar, the father of lies in John 8, 44. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. His lie to Eve in the garden was that God could not be trusted. And only what you, Eve, know is really true. You shall not surely die. He's not going to kill you. He's not going to take away this relationship. He's not going to do what he said. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Those were the lies implicit in what Lucifer, Satan, said to Eve. Essentially, what he was telling her is your truth is more important than God's truth. And that, friend, is the heart of the lie. What a damnable place to live. I hope none of us in this room this morning live in such a place where we know better than God. What a tragedy it is in the age that we live of subjective truth. Christian, you can't live in a subjective truth where you make God into some boogeyman or make God into some evil, maniacal being in the sky. God is love as much as he is truth. God is holy as much as he is love. God is justice as much as he is holy. God is gracious as much as he is just. God is all of these things and everything of those things. But he's also truth. And your truth does not change who God is just because you feel like God has done you wrong or let you down. He shall direct thy paths because his truth is the only truth. Our understanding of his truth is based upon his word, therefore, what he's revealed to us. In Genesis chapter 1, when God begins to speak by saying, and let there be light, and there was light from then until he finishes Revelation chapter 22 and is speaking there. Everything that he says is absolutely true. And you must believe that. I'm not begging you to believe that. I'm laying before you the truth that you have to believe that. Amen. Psalm 119 is a wonderful psalm about a lot of God's word. In verse 160, here's what the psalmist writes. Thy word is true. From the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments, or one of, every one of your righteous discerning edicts, endureth forever. From the beginning it's true, until the end it's true. God is truth. Amen. Just in case we weren't sure of that, when Jesus was talking to his heavenly Father and praying for us, he said this in John 17, Sanctify them, that's the believers in him, through thy truth, thy word is Truth, that settles it. When God says something, that settles a thing. It is not just that the inherent truth of God is based upon His Word. His Word never fails. But it is built in His way. What we know in His Word leads us into a way everlasting. It leads us into a life that is joyful. It leads us into contentment and satisfaction. It leads us into trust and confidence. The inherent truth of who God is is revealed to us in His Word, but we experience it as we exercise His way, as we go about living the life that He's given to us. With a simple statement, he shall, Solomon tells us of a true God who will always act in his providence and in his power. What we must do then is build our lives around his way and not our way. Isn't that where we fail? Well, we recognize he's truth, but I'm just not going to live his way. Then you don't recognize him as truth. It's like a child saying to a parent, Dad, I understand what you said. I love you and I want to obey you, but I'm not taking the trash out today. 
We would look at that child and say, you don't love me at all. You're a disobedient child. And because I love you, I've got to discipline you. That's what happens to Christians that say they trust God, but don't trust God. That say he's truth and don't really live as if he's truth. It's built in his way. Moses was teaching the Israelites this very truth in the end of his ministry to them as God was taking him. In Deuteronomy 28 and verse 9, he says, The Lord shall establish thee a holy people unto himself, as he hath sworn unto thee, if thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death, the writer of Proverbs says. That's how all of us in our own foolishness live. But the Bible tells us that we are to walk in His ways. The psalmist articulates it this way in Psalm 86 and verse 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite or bring my heart into harmony to fear thy name. Unite my heart to respect and reverence or fear thy name. In our age of grace, we have a much more clear directive given to us, and that is by the living word, the Logos, Jesus Christ himself. Here's what he says in John 14 and verse 6. Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And we love verse 6, but verse 7 tells us even more about the truth. He goes on and says, if ye had known me... Jesus says, you should have known my father also. And from henceforth, you know him. What is he saying? He says, if we accept that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and we've come into a relationship with him and the father, from now on, as we know Jesus, we know the father. And have seen him. The only way to know God's way is to know Jesus. Jesus tells us that the only way to come to the Father is through Him. But also the only way to know the Father is through Him. This truth is only known through a life with Jesus Christ. God is inherent truth. All truth exists only in Him. And all truth is found only in Him. His Word and His ways direct us to that truth, and to exercise that truth in this world. The psalmist said this in Psalm 18 and verse 30, As for God, His way is perfect. Here's the way. And then he says, And the word of the Lord is tried. It's proven to be true. He is a buckler. He is a defense to all those that trust in Him. Establishing God's inherent truth brings us, secondly, to our implicit trust. The word inherent means it's just by his nature. It flows from his very being. Implicit means we are commanded, we are compelled to do something. It is implied within it. And so for us to have our paths directed, we must trust. But trust takes time, doesn't it? I love watching baby Christians. I truly do. I love watching all Christians make decisions that honor God. I enjoy even watching in my life where there's things that I know I shouldn't do anymore that I stop doing and start doing in the right way and say, you're a pastor. You should be beyond that. Until we reach heaven, we're none, none of us are beyond that. But I especially love watching brand new baby Christians or even Christians who have maybe backslidden and fallen away say, this is what's real. This is what I ought to do. They've recognized truth and now they are compelled to trust it. Trust is built one decision at a time. As we take God's truth that are inherent in him, We make then choice after choice, proving that his word works and that his ways are best. I think the best uh, example of this that I've ever heard or come across was uh, a news piece done, I think, by 60 Minutes or at least a news organization in Canada just before the 1988 Calgary Olympics. The story that was run on the television program was a story of blind skiers. They wanted to ski the slalom. Now, if you don't know the slalom, the slalom is when they set those flags up kind of caterwonky down the hill and you have to go 
whoosh, down the hill you go, right? And that's the sound the skis make as you whoosh, 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 down the hill. And immediately you ask, how could a blind person do that? It's a good question. The news article went on to show and with video explain. They would take the blind skiers to the flat of the mountain and they would teach them on the flat of the mountain what a left hand and a right hand turn on skis would look like. Then these experienced skiers, many of them Olympians, would go to the top of the mountain with them or the top of the slalom run and they would begin to go down the slalom run. As they went down the slalom run, the the call or command came out, left, right, left. Right, all the way down the hill. And all those blind skiers could do turn after turn after turn was trust the sight of the one that knew the way. Probably 10, 15 years ago, I first heard that story. I went to make sure it was true, by the way. Right, it's one of those wonderful stories. Like, is that true? There is. I think it's called the ASBF. It's the Association of, or ABSF, Association of Blind Skiing Federation. They actually have competitions. But every single one of those blind skiers is dependent upon the sight of the one who sees it. May I suggest to you, our implicit trust is in the God who sees all. Those blind skiers are us. Turn after turn, run after run, situation after situation. We must implicitly trust the word of God as the vision we need from the only truly sighted one in this existence. It is direction that we need in this life, and it only comes by yielding and trusting. If one of those skiers had said, I'm going left, I feel like it's a left, they would have gone right off course and perhaps right over the edge of the mountain. I'm reminded of what Romans and Paul tells us in chapter 12 about the change that comes in the life of the believer. In verse number two, he says this, and be not conformed to this world. In other words, don't zig when you should zag. (laughs) Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, learn to trust him. Why? That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Implicitly trusting God begins then letter A, in a decision of faith. Of course, in our passage that we've read this morning, the beginning of verse 5 tells us this. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Can I tell you, faith is a decision of the heart married to what we know in our mind. What we know to be true, we believe in our heart. That's why the book of Romans in chapter 10, 9 and 10 tells us that it's with the mouth and with the heart that salvation comes. Confession and belief. An old Scottish preacher, Samuel Rutherford, said this, as it pertains to God directing our paths, specifically of this element of faith and controlling our own heart in the matter and trusting God. He said this, duties are ours. Events are God's. In other words, we have responsibilities within every action and reaction of life, but the events of life, they're not in our charge. They're in God's control. He goes on to say, when our faith goes to meddle with events and to hold account upon God's providence or God's knowledge in what he's doing and beginneth to say, how wilt thou do this or that? Rutherford says we lose ground. He goes on to say, we have nothing to do there. It is our part to let the Almighty, he says, exercise his own office and steer his own helm. There is nothing left for us but to see how we may be approved of him. In other words, how we stack up in our faith-based decisions. He goes on to say, and how we roll the weight of our weak souls, that is our heart and our feelings, upon him who is God omnipotent. That's how you live. That's how his direction leads you into paths of righteousness, not into paths of destruction. 
That really is the difference, isn't it, between success and failure of, a, of the Christian? It's faith in God. He's inherent truth. He's all truth. But do I trust Him and His truth? Faith is a decision. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. He is the ultimate truth. You are a sinner, but He, Jesus Christ, is your Savior. That first decision of faith brings you into a life of many more decisions of faith. But without that first one, there are no decisions of faith that you can make. To trust God with the path of your life equally takes a confession each day that you and I do not know what a day may bring forth. But God does. Like Mr. Rutherford taught, do not let your faith meddle with the events. God has brought that event into your life and only he knows why. But throughout this year, we're going to have to learn to trust him. Trust God's truth, goodness, and grace and the sufficiency thereof through each event that comes in each day. Trusting is a decision of faith. But it is also, let her be, a determination for the future. He goes on to say in verse 5, Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, he begins verse 6, Acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. God will direct. But we must determine to listen and follow his direction. So often we trust the lies of men. Here here are some of those lies of men. Just make yourself happy. That's a lie. You will never be happy in this world. You can have joy and contentment and peace and satisfaction, but you cannot have that without knowing God and trusting God. Another lie that we believe often is, you know better than God does how to run your life. Don't listen to him. That was the lie that Eve believed in the garden. Here's another lie that we often hear people say to us and our heart immediately attaches to. And it determines a future of misery for us. God doesn't care. That's a lie of the devil. It's a lie of your fallen heart in the midst of tragedy. There are countless other humanistic, man-focused, temporarily-minded beliefs that we hold to, pragmatic and foreign from who God is in His absolute goodness. For God to direct, we then must trust His truth. That means any concept of man that runs counter to God's revealed truth, we must reject. There must be implicit trust in His word and in His way. Make the determination now that we will follow where God leads us. Solomon's point is that in every way that our lives go, we will acknowledge Him. The word acknowledge here means to learn intimately and experientially from Him. In other words, we have book knowledge, but we also have lived knowledge of Him. The word, by the way, in the Hebrew is the word yada, Y-A-D-A. It is used almost 890 times in the Old Testament, and it has the idea of knowing someone in both an experiential and knowing way, loving way. It means to know well enough to change your behavior because you recognize what is expected of you. That's the problem a lot of times for Christians. Like, if I just knew what he wanted, he tells you what he wants. If you don't know, you're just lazy or you don't care. I heard this poem years ago. I put it in my notes and sometimes I never know in all of my files if I can find something and I found it. It took me about two weeks at the end of December. Some of the guys that preach or teach know what that feels like. I know I've got a great one. I know I've got one that says exactly what I want. And it took me a long time. I was panicking at the end of last week. I'm not going to find it. I just trusted in him and it came. Here's how the poem goes. Trust Him when dark doubts assail thee. Trust Him when thy strength is small. Trust Him when to simply trust Him seems the hardest thing of all. Trust Him. He is ever faithful. Trust Him for His will is best. Trust Him for the heart of Jesus is the only place of rest. That's a good one. He shall, 
is the inherent truth for all of our lives. We must implicitly trust as He directs, which leads us finally this morning to you individually trying. Now, notice I didn't say individually try. You know, all of us have had kids. I remember all, th- all three of our boys when they learned to ride bikes. We did not take the boys outside, plop them on the bicycle, and off they went. Hey, man, I tried it. I got it. No, what it went like was something like this. Plop, drop them on, off we go. No, 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 no. And they fell. Now, I had a couple of the times the boys looked at me and said, I'm done. I don't care. I'm going to get an electric scooter, right, or something like that. But how did they learn to ride bikes? Because they kept trying. When we come to the very end of this statement, he shall direct thy paths, it becomes very personal. Your path this year is going to be different than mine. Think about that for a moment. We don't know in a year what's going to happen. That is, by the way, the great anticipation and for many the great fear of a new year. I hope it's better than last year. In many instances, that is a legitimate prayer. Man, nothing could be better than last year. I hope it's not a letdown. That too might be a legitimate prayer. The point is, you and I have to individually continually improve or work to trust His truth. You have to walk your own path, your own life. They are your paths. You can walk trusting your own truth or you can walk trusting God. Here's the point. All of us this week are going to be here together for an hour and then we're going to go out to lunch and have time in the afternoon, maybe watch some football, take a nap, do whatever we do on a Sunday. And many, if not all of us, are going to come back this evening to an evening service. And so on two times a week, and perhaps if you're able to be out on Wednesday night, your paths are going to cross paths with other people in the church. But ultimately, as those paths go out throughout the year, your path is going to be vastly different than mine. You're going to get different health news than I'm going to get. You're going to have different financial gains and losses that I'm going to have. We all have our own path that we have to walk. And what Solomon has done is he's given to us an inherent truth with an implicit trust telling you every decision of your life. You've got to individually try. You've got to put in the effort. You've got to do the work. I can't do it for you. Well, pastor, I'll just come to you and get counsel and we'll solve the problem together. Hey, listen, every single person that comes to me, I'm grateful that they're willing to sit down around truth. But I always point them to truth, and I will finish by saying, now you got to go try it. I can't make you. I am not the spiritual police. You don't want me to be the spiritual police. I can't. I can pray for you. I can always be here to listen. I can always hopefully point you right back to what the truth of the Word of God is. Inherent truth with implicit trust means you are going to individually try your best to do what God wants. Each of us in this room, everyone under the sound of my voice, will travel a very eventful path this year. Pastor, do you know something I don't know? Are you like a prophet? No, that's just the way every year is. Every day is filled with choices. Every week is filled with dozens of choices. Every month is filled with hundreds of choices. So each of us will make Thousands of life-altering choices this year alone. That's your path. And those paths will be filled with you trusting your own truth. (laughs) I know what I'm doing. Well, what does God say about it? Well, I don't care. I know what I'm doing. Or are you going to come back to the Word of God and say, "I'll, I'll come and trust your truth? The key to allowing God to direct your paths comes down to you trying to trust His truth. If you get nothing else, get that line out of the whole of the message. The key to allowing God to direct your paths comes down to you trying to trust His truth. The pious person that will come to you and say, I always trust His truth. They're trying very well, but the truth is sometimes each of us fail. A just man falleth seven times, yet riseth up again. We were reminded of that verse this week from a Chinese fortune cookie. The greatest part of a Chinese fortune cookie is when they quote the Bible. 
a just man falleth seven times, yet riseth up again. As many times as he falls, he gets back up. He keeps trying. Solomon is telling us, make the effort, exercise your faith. He's telling us to let God direct every choice. Trying then boils down to two essential elements. Letter A in your outlines, it is a matter of the will. Whatever happens this year, it's always going to boil down to a matter of your will. Are you going to do it? By the way, that is the pattern of all of the Bible. The exercise and example of characters of the Bible that exercise their will. Towards God or against God. Isaiah chapter 1, the Israelites are working against God, right? The Israelites have fallen. They're in great straits. They are, they are troublesome as a people. They're, they're like the roller coaster. They look like the stock market sometimes. Up and down and up and down and up and down they go. And Isaiah is giving God's word of condemnation to Israel. And here's what he says in verse number 16 of chapter 1. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Boy, that is absolutely essential for today as well. Cease to do evil. Man, it is, it is that simple. Just stop. Well, I mean, you don't know my sin, Kyle. No, I don't know your sin, but I know sin. It's always a choice. That is another inherent truth of God's word. Then he says this, learn to do well. Seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. By the way, James would later talk about many of these things as what the example of pure religion and undefiled look like. Caring for the fatherless and the widow. What God is saying to the prophet is, go back to being others minded as you are mindful of me. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Notice the next verse. If, if, conditional statement, if ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. For Israel, they lived in the promised land. For the believer today, we live in the promised life. You want to have a good Christian life? Be willing and obedient to God. Because the next verse says this in verse 20. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword. You're going to have a miserable Christian walk. How many Christians, perhaps even in this room, in the inner monologue of their own life in conversation with God, say, I am miserable right now. It's because you refuse and rebel. The end of it says this, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. He's inherent truth, and you need to implicitly trust him, but you've got to individually try. Do you want to have a life that God will bless? Then make the first choices in this new year to stop doing that which is evil in your life and start doing that which is good. What are those things, you might ask? The answer is, you know. Do you want me to give you a laundry list of the 295 sins that I could probably give to you this morning that just pop into my head? And you say, no, I don't want to be here that long. Here's what you need to change. Here's what you need to stop doing evil in. What the Spirit of God, when I talk about it, says, yeah, that one. He is much more personal to you than I ever could be. Yes, yeah, stop that one. Start lo- learning to do well from the word of God and cease to do evil. Amen. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, lays out a compelling life of change that comes by our wills being in obedience. Remember, Isaiah said, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. You shall have a pleasurable life as a Christian in the New Testament. Something, by the way, that Isaiah could never imagine is what Paul writes to the Ephesian believers, that Christ the Messiah has come, the Savior has come. But here's what he says. It's a lengthy passage, so so stay with me. In Ephesians 4 and verse 17, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Don't live like they're living in the emptiness or the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Who, those people who don't know God, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Then he says, but ye... 
You have not so learned Christ. If you're a Christian here this morning and you're living in open, wanton sin, you didn't learn that from Jesus. And you're not trying very hard if you're living in open, wanton sin. He goes on to the next verse and says, If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as what? The truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former lifestyle, conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, he says. Wherefore, here's what the actions that come from that attitude or that inner man thinking lead to. Wherefore, put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. In other words, if you're working, you should be able to give to others. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what comes out of your mouth is good to the use of edifying or building up that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And the result, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, all hatred. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And every time I get to Ephesians 4.32, I can quote it without looking because my mama made me learn it when I was a little boy. Because Kyle wasn't always the kindest to everybody. But learning the Bible helped change me. And learning the Bible can help change you. It is a matter of our will. Ye have not so learned Christ. Finally this morning, you individually trying is a matter of wisdom. It's not just I will. It's a matter of knowing how to will. It's a matter of knowing how to do it. In Proverbs 8, a great chapter of the Bible, one I highly recommend every Christian read often. Not just when you read through the Bible, but read it often. I like to read Proverbs 8 once a month. In Proverbs 8, wisdom is talking. It's honestly a personification as if wisdom was a person walking around. And as wisdom begins to talk, wisdom, by the way, wisdom is just God. Just like God is truth, God is all wisdom. But as wisdom begins to talk, it starts to tell us things. In fact, it tells us that wisdom was there in the beginning. There was actual knowledge and construction logically of how the world exists. Wisdom was there. God is wise. But it says this in verse 20. It's wonderful in Proverbs 8 and verse 20. I, wisdom is speaking, me, wisdom, I lead in the way of righteousness, in the midst of the paths of judgment. Solomon over and over and over again in his book of wisdom says to his son, in all of your getting, get wisdom and understanding. He tells his son, wisdom is the chief or the principal thing. And so this morning you might be saying, but I don't know if I have wisdom. I think I'm lacking wisdom. Oh, hallelujah, there's a verse for you. And me, because there's times where I don't know. You want to think you get scared when situations arise and you can't find a Bible verse or a truth to hold on to or or some way to answer it? Imagine being a pastor when you're presented with something and going, "Uh, I know it's in here. I got to go find it. That happens. And so if it happens to you, it happens to me. The Bible gives us even hope in that. James chapter 1 and verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, that's me. God knows me. He does intimately. And he wants you to know him intimately. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. Now, some people take that middle section of the verse and say, God will give you whatever you want. The context here is lacking wisdom. 
And if we lack wisdom, then we come to God and say, I don't understand what to do or what to say or how to handle this, God. But I know there's Bible verses and I'm going to go read them and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate my heart and thinking on this. I may go to a counselor or a pastor and say, are you thinking the same way I'm thinking? Am I missing something in this? But getting that counsel and that help, he says, let, you, let him ask of God who giveth all men liberally. And the next phrase in the Old English, in the King James, we don't always understand it. It says, and upbraideth not. Here's how you can read that the next time you read it. He doesn't yell at you. Yeah. You dummy. How can you not know that? Right? God never does that to you. When you individually put the effort in seeking wisdom and come to him and say, God, I... I I don't know how to handle this. I implicitly trust you because I know you are inherent truth. You are all truth. But man, I, I, don't, I don't understand this one. He says, it's okay. I'll help you. And it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith. There it is again. It's always a decision of faith. Nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. It is pointless. It is moving everywhere but nowhere. You want to have God direct your paths? Then trust Him this year. This year, as we study on Sunday mornings, we will be studying many people who walked with God. Joshua and victory. Ruth and love. Samuel and obedience. David and success. Solomon and wisdom. Job and suffering. Esther and courage. Nehemiah and leadership. Each of these people allowed God to direct their paths. They deemed God and His truth trustworthy. Do you? You will get very little out of the messages this year if you enter the messages thinking you know everything and you're the only one that's right. But if you will come Sunday after Sunday, message after message, evening after evening, morning after morning, if you will come to this place eager and hungry to know truth that you can trust in, that you're willing to go out throughout that week and try, I promise you, you will have a wonderful year. Because he shall direct thy paths. As we close this morning, who will direct your life this year? You or God. Solomon says, He shall direct thy paths. Oh, that we would embrace that truth this morning. Father, help us, I pray. To trust you. I think of that old hymn, Simply Trusting Every Day. You are true and righteous altogether. May we take the directions you give us into each of our paths every day. As the piano plays this morning, I would say and extend to you. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that is the core inherent truth that you must believe. Jesus did not only create the world, Jesus redeems sinners of this world. Paul, in expressing that statement, essentially says... The reason for Christ coming, he, Christ died for sinners, and Paul said, of whom I am chief. Salvation comes to the heart of one who says, I recognize that I'm a sinner, and only Jesus can save me from my sins. If you've not done that this morning, that is the first step on the pathway of joy and contentment and peace. The second question in the message predominantly this morning has been preached to those of us who've already trusted Jesus. We've already made that commitment that yes, He has saved and secured my eternal soul. The question then is, why don't you trust Him with your career? Why don't you trust Him with your kids? 
Why don't you trust him with your finances? Young people, why don't you trust him with your future? Every day brings choices. And those choices hinge upon what we believe is true. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, let's stand to our feet as the piano continues to play. If there's a decision you want to make, now's the time to make it. Father in heaven, I thank you for the wisdom that you gave to Solomon. I thank you that the wisdom you gave to Solomon, he penned such a passage as we read this morning. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. Help us to take the truths that we've learned this morning, trust them out into the week that is ahead of us, and try them. Can we trust that in every choice, if we choose to do what the Bible says, you will bless us? You've told us in your book to prove you. That's what it means to try. Help us, I pray, as we depart. In Jesus' name, amen.